whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. In each episode, we invite someone from the theater who you might see on stage, backstage, or in the house to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by actor, singer, teacher, Orioles fan, Evan Casey. All the above. All the above. Uh, Evan can be seen all around D.C. I know you're huge in Sherlington since... Yes, very big. Very big in Sherlington. Uh, very big in Olney. Or so much. Yeah. Uh, big, big Olney. That's another one. Okay. Yeah. And I've Just those two markets, really. That's, that's it. That's, that's the list. You. Yeah. <laughs> Either end of the beltway. And yeah. that's it. That's where you're going to find Evan. I saw you in Baltimore once. You did The Drawer Boy? I did. I did The Drawer Boy in Baltimore. in Baltimore at Everyman Theater. Okay. Yeah, I bounce around. I mean, the D.C., you know. And all... the Capitol Steps. And the Capitol Steps, yes, which takes not... me all, all across the country. And you chose uh, an album that, uh, honestly, I'm surprised it took this long to come up. Well, it is the Les Mis cast recording, or the original Broadway, the 1987 cast recording. <laughs> Which I had to ask you about. You did. There are, there are, there are many. There are, okay, there are four or five that I know of. There's the London cast. Right. There's the Broadway cast. There's the complete symphonic recording. Right. There's the 10th anniversary yes. concert version, which, which I also have. Yeah, I have that as well. Favorite. That became big for me, but like in a different part of my life. Right. And then there's the 30th anniversary cast album. Right. Yes. Which... That's like the Jonas Brothers and stuff. Right. There's right? Nick Jonas. And right. Leia Salonga moved from Eponine to Fontaine. Right. She's just graduating. 20 up years the later. Yeah. Right. She's cruising along there. Um, and I don't think there's one for the newest revival. So, but I don't know uh, if there is yet. yet. I'm not sure. This show, obviously, you are not exactly my age, but we're close enough in age where this show, I think, is huge for people of our of our general age. Sure. In their 30s now. Like, this was. This came out when we were kids. This was touring when I was a kid. Right. How did you first encounter Les Mis? The way it became big for me, really, is my mom is a French teacher um, and sort of a lover of all things French. And I I don't really remember uh, any sort of specific introduction to it other than the fact that it was played – the tape of it was played in our car all the time when – in my youth with my sister as well. Um, I guess maybe when I was – if it came out in 87, probably when I was like six, seven on car trips, it would play constantly um, because my parents loved it. And then in turn, because of that, we loved it. So that was okay. sort of my first big introduction. Now, did this was the same for me. My parents saw it in Philadelphia at the forest, bought the tape, I think, during intermission. Mm-hmm. And we had the cassette. But my, and my parents would play it in the car and in the house all the time. However, it would be edited Kind of live. Sure. Were your parents the same You know way? what? No, And I'm not sure how this happened. I don't know if it was just that, like, I instinctually knew that I wasn't supposed to say certain words that came up in Master of the House or not. But I remember specifically, <laughs> like, my sister and I would sing it and replace, like, with a word 
and oh or, wow, you'd go like full oh yeah, full self censorship. Yeah, okay. yeah. We would we would edit ourselves, and we thought that was like the most hilarious thing ever. A that they were saying it, and then B that we were Master like replacing of the house it. isn't worth my S word. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> we thought it was or like raise it up the master's A word is what we would say. We thought it was it like I don't know. We it thought doesn't it was scan. Delightful. No, it doesn't. It doesn't scan. But, but it gave us the giggles. But you know, but the all the other the other stuff that was. That would actually be the the material, you know, the subject matter. I, I just think went right over our heads. Okay. Age. I don't think we were aware. Yeah, of... I remember. I mean, Master of the House is the big one. We got to listen to it, it until Madame Thenardier's verse. Right. And then whoever was dri- not driving would fast forward. And it was this hilarious thing. We had a, I, I'll never forget this. It was this old Buick and of my mom usually fast forwarding then rewinding the fast forwarding then to get back like right because she wanted to hear the song of course very badly but right. she couldn't hear the we couldn't hear Madame Thenardier's I mean 45 second right. mini verse yeah. um, in the middle there and uh, Lovely Ladies was another one that got it depended on I don't, I don't think my dad censored that one I think my mom just skipped it right entire, like whole hog she just skipped over Lovely Ladies and yeah. went right from Dream to Dream to Who Am I I mean in retrospect Lovely ladies and like the factory stuff and all that stuff going on in the beginning of the play or of the musical, like that's that's probably the the most dangerous to young ears, if you will. But again, we weren't. I, it just went right over. Our I heads, think it I think. does. I think that, that's what. It, well, because all it did to me was make me fascinated with what was happening during right. that segment. And when they went out of the house, I picked up the tape and played it and right, listened to course. it with great enjoyment. Right. Um, yeah, but it didn't. It, it didn't make any any impact on me language-wise. I now recognize having a kid that, because I just don't want him going into school and saying, you know, Pops, if you had heard the shit that they said about you, sure, you would course. not have let it stand and I was not about to. I just don't want like that because right. I don't want to have that meeting. Right, so it's really, instead of it being, because at the time I took it to be like, you don't think I can handle this? And now I recognize it more as like, I just don't want to talk about this with you right, right now. Like, right. And I don't want to talk about it with your teachers when you go in, master of the house isn't worth my dish. Yes, that exactly. I don't, want, I don't want to be that. I don't want to have that hassle. So that's yeah. I, I now respect it in a way. I definitely. You know what though? Now that I think about it, just just to be clear for all of those who want to know the lyric, I believe it's master of the house isn't worth my spit. Oh, that's Comforter, true. Philosopher, philosopher and, and lifelong. Life yes, that's absolutely right. You're right. I'm sorry. I put one in where it didn't. That's right. It it's didn't fair. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to give you know. I often with Kretzmer credit. I, was that, well, that's that it's Kretzmer right. and, and Bublil with the Bublil and Schoenberg. But you know, Kretzmer did the American. Kretzmer did the translation. Right, but. So let's do a little history on the show. For those yeah. of you not familiar with uh, Les Mis, it opened uh, originally in France after a concept album around 1980. Uh, the French production ran very limited uh, in a sort of circus tent and was not well received. But there was the cast, the concept album, which after Cats, somebody gave to um, Cameron McIntosh, who decided to produce an American version of it. And it opened... In 1985 in the West End and is still running. Yeah. It is the second longest running show in the West End after The Mousetrap, right. which opened in 1950. Okay, so I think sure. it's going to make sense. Yeah. And the second longest running show ever, uh, musical, excuse me, ever after um, The Fantastics. So it is uh, in the world. So it is a huge um Huge success in 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 England came here came to D.C. I didn't realize to the Kennedy Center first in March first for a, like a two, two uh, excuse me in February for like a month tryout and then went to uh, New York opened March twelfth nineteen eighty seven at the Broadway Theater where um, Fiddler is now the latest revival of Fiddler and ran for six thousand six hundred eighty performances which at the time was the second longest running show ever behind Cats it is now fifth behind Cats Lion King. 
Chicago, and Phantom, all of which are still running, those right. top three. And I have to also say that Wicked and Jersey Boys are closing in on it yeah. swiftly, and I imagine it will be relegated to top ten before too long. Yeah. I mean, Wicked, I could see. Jersey Boys, I mean, Jersey Boys' I was continued to success it was surprises running. me. But yes. I, I thought it's I not good, but, you know. It's, it's well, not, I'll say it's not good. But okay, I, I, went, uh, I went. If you're going to drive that boat, I'll <laughs> hop on and, and ride with you. <laughs> and, and hide your face. I um, Yeah, I looked it up. I was startled to find it still running. Uh I, I didn't I, I didn't know that it I mean I, I never heard it closed I just never right. I never really heard much about it period um, it won tons of Tony Awards best musical score book featured actor for Michael Maguire who played Angel Ross featured actress for Frances I'm gonna butcher her Ruffel, last name Ruffel yeah who played Eponine um, and was the other West End transplant along with Colm Wilkinson as Jean Valjean it also Colm won. didn't win Colm did not win Colm and Terrence Mann were both up for best actor. And I think probably in a Godfather situation, split the vote, and Robert Lindsay won for me and my girl. Oh, so oh, all right. Yeah, I I know. I think that if Colm had been up by himself, right. he would have won. If Terrence Mann had been up for featured actor, but then they, he and Michael McGuire probably would have split. Right. I mean, it's True. just a guess. Or not, because Francis Ruffell was also up against Judy Kuhn, uh, right. the queen, long may she reign, who, for her role as Cosette. And it lost costume design to Starlight Express. There were a lot of lights on that. There are a lot of costumes in that show. That is, I think Starlight Express, the... by the way, my first Broadway musical I ever saw, believe it or not. Was Starlight Express? Yeah. yeah. It ran for that long? How old were I, you? When I saw, saw it very young. I saw it when I was like four, I think. So You kind of have to be, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well, at, at, at that age, it's you know, it's oh, it would be amazing. marvelous at, yeah. at that age. You yeah. wouldn't follow it, but it would be... Right. You, just, kinda, you see roller can, skates and lights and... You could kind of barely follow it now, fascinating. to be entirely honest. Yeah. There's also a lot of famous people in the cast of Les Mis, uh, in this original Broadway cast. Anthony Crivello, mm-hmm. future Tony winner for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Uh, Anne Crum, future Tony nominee for Aspects of Love, which I'm not familiar with, but... <sighs> She's in the. She's in the. Uh, you're not familiar with aspects of love, or you're not familiar with Anne Crumb. I'm not familiar with Anne Crumb. I'm very familiar uh, with aspects okay. of love. Okay. No, All right. I, I. I am a scholar of music yeah, theater, that's, and that's I've a made whole. Certain that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> oh dear me. Uh, big hit show though. We sang in mixed chorus in high school. We sang "Seeing Is Believing." Right. All four years I was there. All at, four years. At every concert. Everything we sang, seeing is believing. Why? I could sing you the tenor part of seeing is believing right now. I'm not going to, but I could. In my sleep, I could sing the tenor part of that. I think what purpose did our, your... our, our choral director liked it? It's a really easy song to sing. Um, I mean, mixed chorus was a class in my high school. It was not an extracurricular, so he had to take whoever registered. I mean, there were, I mean, there were 70 kids in the class, okay. and I went to single sex boys high school. We went to the girls' school to take it, so it was a popular. Sure, of course. Class. Yes. Um, and yeah, we sang that. We sang all four years I was there, and every Christmas we sang "Need a Little Christmas" from Maine, which is not a Christmas song, but that's another podcast oh, really? altogether. But, you know, everyone um, loves a good Jerry Herman. Too. And also, also in the cast, uh, Jesse Corti, who you may not know his face, but he was the voice of LeFou in uh, Beauty and the Beast, the oh, nice. original one, and he was in Frozen. He was one of the ambassadors in oh, Frozen. I didn't know that. So he's working vocal actor. What was it that drew you to this show specifically? Well, I mean, other than the fact that, as I said, as as when I was in my youth, it was very big for me. As as I got older, I. You know, there's a. I, I don't. Is, I don't want this to sound like an insult because it's it's really not. There's like there's a, there's a level to this. There's a there's a there's there's an there's a level of of 
of melodrama to this show and the way in which um, Bublil and Schoenberg have, have composed like the power ballads and the rousing anthems and all this stuff that really appeals to the, uh, you know, uh, really, really appeals to, I think, a the the simple heart, for lack of a better word, lack of a better term. I think it's like, you know, it's not it's not overly complex. Um, the emotions are easy to grasp. Um, the way in which they're like driving them. <laughs> what would is, you say, just real fast? The the chief emotion in Les Mis is the chief emotion. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, you know, love, passion. I w- yeah, I was gonna say passion. Like it it could be called passion. Obviously, there is a musical right, passion, but it could be called like it just just be called that. Right. They, they these are people who believe things right. and feel things at an eleven at every oh yeah single step. Yeah. yeah. I am also going to make a disclaimer at this point, probably similar to what what you're thinking. I love this show. Sure, me too. I love this show in a way that passes nostalgia. I honestly believe it to be a great show. That having been said, there are several things about it which are hilarious. Oh yeah. When you stare at them for too long, and, and the also, passion is kind of one of them. And also, you know. You you love a lot of things about it when you when you first get to know it, and then as you you know get older, you're like, oh god, heart full of love. Like let's click past that one. You know, <laughs> there are lots of there are lots of you're like I can't listen to one more castle on a cloud. You're like get out of here. Oh my gosh. Um. So so there's a lot of that going on. I think I think too. But but anyway. But but uh, but what I mean to say is that you know the the elements of it in the music in the lyric. Um, in the storyline, what drives it forward, I think, are easy for the layman to grasp. And I, and 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 as a young person, I was, I mean, I'm a musical theater aficionado, quote unquote, now, or whatever, sure. or certainly you have a professional. Degree. You can, you can take it. But, but, but as a, but so my my tastes have changed somewhat. But I still, it still holds a very special, important place in my heart for the reasons that you know we've already outlined. Yeah, I think I I think everyone goes through a period with. Loving Les Mis and then hating Les Mis. You get to your sort of serious music theater, late high school, college self. Right. And you don't, it, I, I think in the way you try to shake off childish things in an aggressive way. Sure. Um, you you shed it. And, yeah. And then you come back. But I think you come back to it. I think. Yeah. You, I mean, you I, th- I wouldn't I wouldn't quite go it. so far as to say like hating it, but I would definitely say like you you, yeah. you diminish you it. You deride it. I yeah. Would say, yeah. And, and you say like, uh, you know, that's not, you know, now I like Sunday in the Park with George and, you know. Right. And, and Todd, as if you can't Collins. like both. Right. Like, it, it, there is a sort of feeling, I think, that you can't you cannot enjoy Les Mis and well, like Sunday in the Park with George right. is a great example. Well, and, you know, it's. Uh, the, the Lloyd Webber often gets the same kind of kind of comparison because they both came out of that sort of British pop opera kind of sound, and mm-hmm. um, you know people often you know uh, deride his work as well on on the whole as a as a whole like sort of subset, and that's not true. Certainly, there are things that he's written that I'm like this is crap and derivative and mm-hmm. not necessary. But derivative of himself, yes, derivative of himself or yeah. Puccini or whatever. Yeah. But but you know, but there are other things. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm like, you know, no matter no matter what you think of uh, of aspects of love, like Superstar's a great score. Oh yeah, and Evita's a very good show, and there are elements of these other shows of of Phantom of Cats that like you know, I don't like Cats, but like there are elements of the show that you, I can certainly appreciate. Mm-hmm. And Lemis, I like more than a lot of Lloyd Webber's work, but like it's the same sort of thing. You know, I've I, I I you know you you as you as your tastes change and develop, you go oh you know now I see all the flaws that it has, but then you realize you know, there's still many many things to love about the show well there's an earnestness to Les Mis that I think is very appealing when you're young and a little bit I'm not scary is not the right word but certainly something you think you shouldn't 
There's no irony to Les Mis right. whatsoever. Yeah. There's no subtext. Yeah. The, 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 one of my favorite South Park episodes of all time handily mocks Les Mis in general, but Colm Wilkinson in particular. Okay. In, in I don't the, think I've seen it. The episode is called Helen Keller, the Musical, and is about um, – they, they put on a musical about Helen Keller – uh, as you would imagine, and it stars uh, the, the the main plot that people remember is it stars the turkey gobbles whose head drags on the ground and Timmy is obsessed with. Okay. But the the person they bring in to direct the show is a Colm Wilkinson parody who sings almost everything he says in that very stylized Irish right. accent of Colm's. Eventually ends up having to take over and play the part of Helen and sings all the subtext to what she's feeling. I cannot hear what they are saying. I cannot tell them how I feel. What the hell is he doing? How the supposed to sing? If only I could say things that go on in my brain. Oh, wow. With, with all these, this sort of, the, we talk about the earnestness, we talk about the passion and all these things coming together. And I think Colm Wilkinson's very in, in, integral to that. I think oh, without sure. him and his sort of passion, for want of a better word, the whole thing doesn't come off. But when you were young, did you have any concept of wanting to play any and or all of these parts? And if so, who did you want to play? Well, I think I was always impressed by Calm's voice. And for like up through even into like the end of my high school years, I thought that there was like no greater voice in the world than Calm Wilkinson. It is voice. a really outstanding voice. Oh, it's voice. a very, it's yeah. a very cool voice. In but, defense of but, younger but you. But part of what I love so much, I mean, there are certainly heftier voices, bigger voices, more robust voices, whatever. But part of what I think I love so much is what you alluded to, which is like his vocal style, like his choices. Like the like the end of 24601 is like my favorite thing of like all time. So Jaffa, you see it's true. This man has no more gift than you. Who am I? 24601. When he just when he just flips like he shoots this like he flips this and it's like I, why would you choose to do that I don't know like I don't think you need to do that I don't like you were already hitting the note you don't right. need, I don't know well and it's infectious yeah because everybody in the cast is doing the same sort of thing not right. to his level much to their credit but like Francis Ruffell as Eponine for the example who again transplanted with him from the West End is bleeding on that stage before she's ever shot. Right. She is, I mean, her first line I remember from the tape is, Every word that he says is a dagger in me in my life. And I don't want to, like, uh, crap on a performer. I'm not going, what I'm saying is not a, it's going to sound like an insult, but it's not. She started, it didn't start, but she, she began this whole trend of singing of that earnest kind of nasally singing style yes. that became super popular when I started community theater and, sure. and that almost like everybody started imitating until they heard Daphne Rubin Vega in Rent and then everybody started singing that way. But um, so it's this and it sounds like a parody at this point, but she was I mean, it was her voice. That's how right. she sang. And that's her success brought it that way. But then you have also I mean, on the other side, you have Michael McGuire, as we said, who also won a Tony for Angel Ross. I mean, he is just I don't know how he didn't lose his voice. Oh, yeah, he's balls out. Every single night he sang, you know, eight times a week. He sang, if you listen to him sing Red and Black. Marius, you're no longer a child. I do not doubt you mean it well. But now there is a higher call. Who cares about your lonely soul? We strive towards a larger goal. 
our little lives don't count at all. You can hear his voice distinctly in the chorus. one of those things where from the top like they all it comes from the top down and when Colm comes in bringing his specific energy to almost every scene you that's where everybody goes and he'd been doing it for you know a year and a half in London so you know he's going to do it his way Mm -hmm. when they bring it to to New York I mean I also it also speaking of you know voices and different people adding what they do it took me you know probably into my mid high school years before I realized like you don't need to sing with a British accent based upon based upon <laughs> Les Mis at least certainly when I was singing Les Mis songs I, when I would sing stars I'd be like there right. out in the darkness and it was like oh you, yeah, you can you just can, sing it you can just sing it like a you know like right. a normal like American, an American human being right um <laughs> But that segues into that the vo- I don't know if it was because it was easier to sing for me even at a young age, or if it was because I liked the idea of sort of the um, antihero is the wrong word, but sort of the he's the, the bad the guy. villain with a but 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 with a complicated with a, with villain, a pure heart, complex villain. Yes, yeah. Um, you know that actually that's a really good point. He is the villain. But does not view himself as well, such because he's the law. He is right. Right. He is. I mean, yeah. He represents I mean, the law. Any villain wouldn't view himself as such necessarily. If you... I think Tenardier thinks he's a villain, and I think he's fine with that. Well, but that's his. I mean, I think that I think that in general, obviously, as as a character, you can't necessarily view yourself as someone who as is evil. Well, there's a difference evil. between viewing yourself as evil and viewing yourself as a villain. I think because if you're a villain in opposition to a corrupt system which I think would be Tenardier's argument, that there is no law. There okay. is only success. But I, but I think we're in agreement that you have to view that what you're doing is is justified. Yeah, well, that's Javert's whole right. problem. But, for, but the point being that for Javert, that like he is the antagonist in the story, but but he's an, he is complicated because because he views everything by the law and by, by being right and just and by the letter of the law that, you know, he is – he is right in his pursuit of justice for this. Um, and so for, I think for that reason and then also for, again, the fact that I think he gets he gets a lot of, you know, excellent power ballads himself that were e- oh, he's that, got the best songs. that are easier for any male mm-hmm. to sing. Yes. Than the than the uh, Valjean stuff. Um, that's that's what I think I was drawn to more as far as a character was Terrence Mann as Javert. Yeah. yeah Terrence Mann is Javert. For me, I've heard. I mean, I've heard Philip Quast sing. Philip Quast has a who plays him on the Complete Symphonic and and on the Dreamcast, the tenth anniversary. Philip Quast has a much better voice, technically speaking. Yeah. But I would rather listen to Terrence Mann sing that role at any rate. It's a little harder for me now, knowing that like, just as as I've come to know more about the voice myself, and being like, oh, Terrence Mann, you you really didn't have much going on there vocally, did you? That's, no, he didn't. It's a little harder for me, but. That said, that see that that impresses me. I have to say, and that's a big distinction between the Broadway recording and the original London cast, which had Roger Allen as Javert. Oh, Roger Allen! I didn't know who. He was yeah, yeah. Him. And do you know who played Fontaine? Uh, the originally, originally in the West End. It's an American actress, so it's going to be a Not little. Not Patty Lapone. It is Patty Lapone. Because I knew she did it at one point, but I didn't know she did it in the West so End. So it was first. Patty Lapone, Tony, who at that point had won a Tony for Evita, did Fontaine. Uh, on the West End in 85. But they were replaced by Terrence Mann and Randy Graff, who plays Fontaine. And you are correct. They are, both of them are not as as good technical singers as their West End replacements. Right. 
However, they bring an honesty and a humanity to me that, mm -hmm. I mean, when I listen to Patti Lapone sing, um, I Dreamed a Dream, I am listening to an amazing singer and a very good actress, but sing the crap out of a really good song. Sure. listen to Randy Graff saying, I am listening to a woman who has reached the end of her tether, put her heart on out for the audience. And still I dream he'll come to me, that we will live the years together, but there are dreams that cannot be. sounds a lot more like that kind of person to me than Patti Lapone does. Our 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 dear mutual friend mentor Jane Pesci Townsend who yes. said who who gave the phrase that I've used many times since in teaching and I'm sure many others have of never sing a ballad without hope was like invented for I dreamed a dream which is mm -hmm. which is which could be one of the most hopeless songs to mm -hmm. sing because you know by the end of it you're your, that life has killed the dream you dream as as it is written. Right. But you have to sing through it in the idea that that's not the case, that that's, that still you dream he'll come to you and et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that you, you go there musically and then at the end it returns to this place of sadness and depression and loneliness and understanding that your life will never be what you aspired for it to be, even though you had that at one point, is always... And and because when they did it at Signature, my wife played that part, so... Okay, well, that'll know. that'll knock you down. That's an interesting distinction between the stage production and the film, because um, in the stage production, that comes right after, uh, at the end of the day, and it's Fontaine taking kind of a deep breath before she goes and does whatever she needs to raise 10 francs. Right. In the film, they move it to After Lovely Ladies, and she's got no hair and she's a prostitute and she's all by herself in this brothel and she sings what's well, a ship really but it, it's not after lovely ladies in the in the musical no it's right before lovely ladies in the mm. musical uh and it is a song it's not without hope but it is a very it is a much sadder number there can be a hollowness to the technique i don't think that's true with philip quast i think philip quast um is is an astonishing singer and he he gets the performance through but i there's something about Terrence Mann and his voice in that recording that I, that's Javert to me. Mm -hmm. And it could just be because I heard it first. Uh, well, I, I think for a, for a man, I think Javert is the most interesting character. Well, I shouldn't say that necessarily. Well, he is. So, he's, but I do think he's the most complex character. There's certainly interesting elements of Tenardi and interesting elements of Valjean, but I think he's, there's, there's a lot to plumb there with mm -hmm. Javert. No, I absolutely agree. So let's well let's let's talk about that a little bit because as you get older and as I say as I got older as well, the show took on a different sort of significance mm -hmm. to me. There's a lot of now knowing as much as I do, there's a lot of structural issues I find with the show, the fact that act 1 takes place over I mean 30 years, yeah. 20 years at yeah, 15 to 20 years, let's right. say. And then act 2 takes place over like 2 days, 3 right. days, like that's a little structurally yeah. wonky. Um 
and some other little character, you know, some coincidences. There's the whole aspect of, of love at first sight that's always a little bit that works. Didn't bug me at all till I saw the movie. I'll be entirely honest. Those things don't work in films as well as they work on stage. Of course. Um, but you have the the three characters. I feel at, at the there's so many characters in the show, and they're all named. I mean, every single one of those students has a name, mm-hmm. and we hear it at one point or another. Um, the only one I can remember is Grantaire because he's the drunk. Right. And but they always say, Grantaire, put that bottle down. Down. Do we have the guns yeah. we need? Yeah. Give me brandy on my breath and I'll breathe them all to death. Um, yeah, I've listened to the show a couple of times. But the three main characters for me that run the whole show are Jean Valjean, Javert, and Thenardier. And each of them is interesting to me in their own way. And I have my own theories about that. But I wanted to hear how these characters maybe have changed for you, if there are any similarities to those you find. Similarities similar to... similar trains of thought for me. Um, I mean, I do. I I don't think that that's wrong because they are the three characters that we see that are sort of ad- adults when the show begins. Because obviously we see we see yeah. Cosette and Eponine sort of throughout the course of it as well. But they're adults when the show begins, and we track their journey through to the end. Who don't die along the way? The only one of them to survive the entire show is Tenardier. True. Because the show ends, spoiler alert, with Jean Valjean dying. So, right. yeah, he's the only one to make it out. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that they're that they're all valuable because or, or that or rather that that what you're what you're saying is how they how they how the three characters sort of track is that you know, their they their perspectives on life all all come from a different vantage point. Um mm-hmm. and and their place therefore in the story um gives the audience a different perspective. Um, which I think is is key. I mean, it's it's overly simplistic to say that Tenardier is just um, comic relief, and he seems like he would be up until like sort of Dog Eat Dog, the, the song. Where, yes, and then you're like, oh, this took a turn. Which is why the movie to me fails Tenardier. I've actually not seen the movie. Okay, so well, I'm gonna talk about it. Anyway. No, um, that's fine. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just I'm just interested to learn. The Tenardiers in the film are pretty much comic relief. Um, and that is because that song is cut mm-hmm. from the film. That's one of the reasons. I shouldn't say it's the only reason. Um, I mean, the musical, if you cut nothing out of it, the movie, I think, would be three and a half hours long. And that's just not tenable for a motion picture yes. being released by a studio. I respect that. And it comes in at a healthy, I think, two and a half hours. So it, it, it does a really good job. But it, it kind of cuts some things recklessly. And one of them was Dog Eat Dog, where you have this character who is sung Master of the House, which is a pure comic relief number. The Waltz of Treachery immediately after that, which is a little more complicated, but right. still, but still basically still funny. pretty funny. Pops up again only to cause problems for Jean Valjean later um, with the attack on Rue Plumet. But then has this this song in the sewers after the battles where he's robbing the corpses and suddenly you realize what a amoral yeah. monster he is. It's a world where the dog eats the dog. And they kill for the bones in the street. And God in his heaven, he don't interfere. Cause he's dead as the stiffs at my feet. So you had the tape, you said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You said you had the t- So you, when was the first time you heard the opening? Because the tape my parents had opened with at the end of the day. Really? Didn't open with look down? No, it opened with at the end of the day. Did your tape? Did you have a? No, maybe you had a different tape than I did. I, th- I, 
I mean, I mean, it's hard to say now because I'm so it's... used to knowing it. But I feel like it began with bum 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 bum. It does. It still bum, began, bum. and then it. No, no, it doesn't. I'm sorry. The tape my parents had kicked right in with at the end of the day and picked up from there, cutting out the first look down and Valjean's soliloquy, most notably to me. Um, and it also cut out. I think it cuts out the entr'acte in Act Two, the building the barricade music. And you a may be of right things. because I do remember, like, uh, because I always thought that Javert's suicide, which is just a repeat of Valjean's soliloquy in right. Act Two, I always sort of recalled that as being Javert's song, and then only later did I realize that that was that it was just sort of a, a repeated version of the of the melody from um, Valjean's soliloquy, and that might be because I didn't it wasn't on the tape, but I don't, but I don't remember that specifically. Okay, so yeah, that that was a big. I remember the first time. So when was the first time you saw the show? I would say I probably saw, it had to be sometime in like middle school or maybe late elementary school because again because by that point by the time I was in late elementary school middle school it was like the early nineties late yeah early nineties mm-hmm. and um and it would it would it would be going on tour like all the time. Um, I never saw it on. So you saw it on the road. Yeah, but I saw it on the road. Okay. Multiple times again because my mom yes. being a French teacher, if it would come through, she'd usually like take a class or something like that. Okay, and you'd go it. in that uh, yeah. in that field so trip. I, I okay. think I saw it two or three times. Even though there's very little French. Oh yes. Well, not to put your mom on blast, but there's no, very little but there's French. Also, in there are also show. very there little French. other French musical options. True. At least ones that are mega hits that will always. I was going to say that are always be touring. That's a very good point. So when you saw it, having heard it over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again, what what were you struck? Do you remember that difference or the experience, or did it not? I mean, the specific. I don't think anything necessarily jumped out at me, but I do. Because the turntable the, blew my but mind. But I do I recall, say. yes, specifically that the turntable and the way they used that set. I mean. I'm sure there's some history behind it. I mean, was it the first, if not, it was certainly the first to effectively use a turntable? It was not the first to use the turntable, but it was, it's one of those things that like after Les Mis used the turntable, you had to have a turntable. Right, exactly. You just, you did you had no choice. And I do remember the, I mean, I think the set, yes, but also the staging, particularly of the of the giant numbers, you know, of yeah. One Day More, of Do You Hear the People Sing, you know, everybody makes fun now of and finds a way to parody and satirize, like, the you know, the Les Mis march. But there's a reason why they do, <laughs> why they satirize it and, and make fun of it is right. because it's, it's it was a great step that clearly indicated, and, you know, in in a short amount of time, you know, what the, what the passion was, what the feeling right. was of this moment. Um, and I do remember speaking of the barricade, like, all, the deaths of all of all the 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 student soldiers and like the, there was always like the one guy who's who's like hanging off. The that's Andros, yeah. Andros yeah. hangs up over the side, right. yeah, bleeding. Um, and that's always just. I mean, the staging of that is always very impre- was always very impressive to me. Did you, were you aware of the fact that it was all sung before you went to see it? You know, I don't think I knew differently necessarily at a young age um, that like that there were. I didn't. You know, that's, that's tough. To, it's tough to say. I mean. When I, How when, old would you say you were when you saw it? When I saw it, yeah. Um, Ballpark. I, I really wish I could. I could remember more specifically, but I, I'm gonna guess somewhere like middle school age, like somewhere like 11, 12, 13. Yeah, it's about how old I was the first time um, I saw it. So, uh, so by that point, I think I had an understanding that there were certainly musicals that were not sung through, and I there. Were, I mean, we weren't like a musical theater house when I was a kid, but we certainly had an appreciation for them. I remember watching Oklahoma a lot mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, I remember, 
uh, watching. Um, I was say, your wife stole this Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was a huge, huge, huge one. For, I would I would name that as, as a favorite cast, but it wasn't a cast recording. It was just the, the movie. The movie. That I yeah, loved just the so movie. Much. Oh, not even the album, just the movie. I mean, yeah. I never had the album. It was just like, I right. just loved the movie. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, but so, we, yeah. so we definitely had an appreciation. So you were familiar theater. with musicals um, and book musicals yeah. and talking and stopping. And, and all. Yeah. And it, and because of although now you say that the tape might have had something missing from it, which I don't recall. But but even if even keeping that in mind, as I recall listening to the tape, there was never. It certainly wasn't the entire thing, but it was certainly enough that you felt like you were getting the whole story unedited. Whereas if you listen to Oklahoma, for example, you know you're getting snippets of you know songs. There's a song here, and then something else happens, and there's a song here, and then there's a song here. You know, so. Um, so anyway, to, I guess to answer your question is that I I don't know if I knew that it was sung through, but I didn't. But I felt like I already knew the entire story based on everything that was sung in on the on the tape. Yeah, you know, that's funny you mentioned that. That never occurred to me that you you listen to. I remember recently listening to um, the, the the cast recording of Heather's, the newer musical, and not understanding what a character was, like which character was performing a certain number which, until I went to the little booklet and read. What, right. so, oh, okay, that's who that is. And moving on. That and that's happened a lot with shows. That's just the most current example I can right. think of. But you're absolutely right. I never feel I never felt I didn't know what was happening. Right. In lame, that's a terrible sentence, but it's true. I I was completely engaged with the story. Well, I mean, it helps that there's you know that literally all all of the information is put to music. So it's... so so you can afford a couple <laughs> cuts and still and still get the idea across. Well, and it's it's funny that you think of a show that's that long and has that many characters and really not that much happens. In terms of plot, in terms sure. of because it's a very, well, and in ter- and compared to the book, yes, because it well because the book doesn't have much of a plot. Right. Though I will say, like I've never read the book, and I I don't believe I ever will. Oh, I won't either. Um, no. Lame is to me, from what I've read about it, is much more of a character study mm-hmm. using the time period as a backdrop to examine these different characters and their sort of struggles, um, but has a lot less plot in it. Than even the musical does, which just sort of focuses on Jean Valjean and then Cosette, right. well, and you then have to go in order to, to form any kind of yeah, because every character in it is is directly spokes off a tree or spokes off a wheel to Jean Valjean. There's not right. That's how everybody gets into the show. But with so many characters, you'd think at at any point you'd get lost. But it is a very like I'm a character. I have a very specific relationship to you, to maybe the main character and maybe one other person. Right. And that's it. And it's always very clear. <laughs> Very clear lines, and also I think very clear musically. Mm-hmm. It's never—I mean, the voices are very distinct, but it, it's you know, Cosette has a particular. The themes are pretty clear. Style, yeah, and, and Eponine has a particular style, yeah. and Marius does, and, and you know, even though all that revolution stuff, which I always thought as a kid was the French Revolution. Um, oh, everybody does, and it's not. I mean, you—if you asked. Every single person who saw Les Mis, if you surveyed them, 75% of them would think it was about the French Revolution at least. So where does the show sit? Where does Les Mis sit for you now? You mean like in in the sort of like my pantheon rankings? Yeah. Or just in general. Like is it a show that you still throw in or is it a show that you kind of have in your spinal cord somewhere that you don't need to listen to to call it up? Um. It's it's not it's not a show that I would that I would throw in. You mean just you mean to to listen to listen to yes yeah and to Um, enjoy. It's not. It's a show, and that I would absolutely listen to parts of. I would not listen to the to the score all the way through. In part, well, who because has the it's time? Immense, yeah. um, and in part because, as I said before, there are, there are, I've now learned that certain elements of the score are a little, well, perhaps not a little, perhaps a lot, saccharine and just you mm-hmm. know, overly schmaltzy. And but you know, 
my God, I can, there are few choral anthemic numbers better than One Day More or Do You Hear the People Sing? And I could listen to, um, uh, you know, a, a beautiful rendition of Bring Him Home 24-7. Um, and and the, part of the cool thing about the, the the fact that there are now so many albums, so many versions, um, is that you do get to hear the songs that you have come to know and appreciate done in new ways and sung with new voice and new style choices. Um, so you can hear them in a different way. Um, is there a particular song that you has been transformed for you by hearing someone else sing it, or you've maybe come to appreciate in a in a particular way by hearing another person sing it? Um, well, I will. I well, I will say that in in general, hearing the the tenth anniversary cast recording versus the eighty seven cast recording allowed me to more fully because because it was done with I think it was done with the London Philharmonic. Done, yeah, wasn't it? it was done with a full huge uh, orchestra, and it was done with an immense chorus. Um, an irrationally large and course, and just I would a, say. and just a, a cast of all stars basically mm-hmm. of Broadway all stars, um, or the or musical theater music all-stars. theater all stars yeah. uh, allowed me to uh, gave me a new appreciation for the score, but then there are other uh, characters and elements of the show like Valjean whether it's being sung by Hugh Jackman or Ramin Karimloo who did it on on Broadway most recently, um, I for me. Colm Wilkinson is all I will ever hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter if, you know, the ghost of Pavarotti sang it. I, it's still, that's the, that's the interpreted, that, that means Valjean to me when I, when, when, when it's played or when, when I hear it. And it was good to see him in the film, which yes. I didn't see, but it was yeah, good I, that I he didn't played, see, didn't he played the, the priest either, in the film, which was, I thought was, was excellent, was an, an excellent homage. piece of casting. And the other thing I wanted to say, and I wanted to get your reaction on because you brought it up, is I have to say my least favorite song in the show is Do You Hear the People Sing? Really? I love One Day More. I love Red and Black. I love all the big choral numbers you just you mentioned. But do you hear the people sing? It just doesn't make sense to me from a dramatic now from a dramatic standpoint. But even as a kid, it comes after a very rousing number right. and comes right before. I mean, it's two songs before One Day More, and I would really rather listen to either of those songs and right. sort of skip, go right from Red and Black to A Heart Full of the, um, In My Life, A Heart Full of Love, and then One Day More. Like, I would really, or attack, The Attack on Ripple May, and then One Day More. I would really rather just go, it, it feels like an interruption to me. Part of that might be because, and I, I don't know if this is true, I think this is true, I think it was the end of side one for the, the tape. It's certainly the end of disc one on the CD. And it feels like an act closer in that setting. Yes, it does. But it is not. There are four more songs before right. One Day More, which is a, like the act closer. I, I don't, I don't have a, a major issue with it as far as it feeling. I do get what you're saying that it feels a little bit like um, it, cl- it sort of bleeds into the other kinds of rousing anthemic numbers. Um, I don't have as much of a problem with it, also because it's a, it's a it's a theme that comes back um, in other times throughout the show. Uh, and so it's sort of a call to arms that um, that comes back again later, and I think it works for uh, the the message that the that the students are trying to send. I have more of an issue with what you just talked about, which is uh, in my life and heart full of love are just death to my ears now. Um, wow! And that's like that I... that's that's that is just the like let's 
let's just stop and talk about our feelings for like 20 <laughs> minutes and not actually move the plot along, but just, you know, that that's that's the problem that I have. Well, but from a dramatic standpoint, I mean, you need it. They need to talk to each other. Otherwise, that then his oh, like, you, that can, whole... you can talk to each other. You just don't have to talk to each other with those notes and with those words. I re- OK. I mean, in my I don't know. Actually, no, I'm willing to stand in front of both of those songs and get hit by the car. I uh, I, I think that. Well, let's start. A Heart Full of Love to me is, yes, saccharine is all get out, but it is another in a great tradition of lattice climbing, you know, love songs uh, in the sort of Romeo and Juliet uh, tradition. And I'm reminded of Soon It's Gonna Rain, even though that's a much better song. Um, that sort of the two lovers meet and sing this song. I do also really, li- I have to say that part of it gets colored by the fact that I love the, the lyrics in, in Heart Full of Love have a really nice, you know, with a heart full of love, a heart full of song, I'm doing everything all wrong. I just, I, I like right. that moment. It always, but it, it, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think part of it is, again, because, yeah, I mean, you might, yes, you need it for the plot, but let's, I mean, let's be honest. Up until that point, you're, and the, the ballads have been like power ballads or, rousing anthemic numbers um and and the the ones that more were more recitative or up tempos were always were were captivating as well and the characters that you're following Valjean Javert there's really not much love or much um you know certainly not love at first sight things going on uh in in the in the early half of the musical so um I think it feels more like an interruption now because as a or, or even as a kid, because as a kid, you're like, well, wait, what happened to, like, the fighting? And what happened to, like, you know, the arguing? And what happened to the funny stuff? And what happened to, like, you know, the guy speaking gruffly and, you know, the guy the guys arguing with each other? Um, that now everything slows down to, you know, sing slow love songs. And I, I would I would counter that you wouldn't notice it. But you're, it's, it's absolutely going to happen, and it is an essential moment in the script. Because otherwise, Marius and Cosette have no scene together before... Jean Valjean decides to flee and like, you know, like it doesn't. Well, I think that speaks to the what you were saying about the plot, the fact that the first the first chunk of it takes place over 30 years. And then suddenly these two people fall in love in the course of 20 minutes. Right. And so and so you're sort of do you're you're you sort of jerk forward and back and you're you're seen as an audience a little bit. And I think Um, that you wouldn't feel quite that way if do you hear the people sing didn't happen in between because there's a build beat from. The uh, students, red and black, do you hear the people saying we're, we're gaining momentum? And then there's a hard crash <laughs> into In My Life, Heart Full of Love. Then the attack on Rue Plumet and then One Day More, we get the build back. So if you take out the two songs you don't like, you absolutely have a continuous kind of ramp. Right. But if you take out Do You Hear the People Sing, you still have the pullback, but it's not, it's not as severe. It's like red and black going right into In My Life is a little bit more of a nice... Well, it's also not helped by the fact that Eponine is always the much cooler chick for for Marius to be with. <laughs> I mean, she's been around the block. She knows what's up. She, well, she knows what's up. She's just, you know, she's got that sort of, you know. Well, she has dimension. I mean, it, what you've just actually said is a writing problem. She has dimension. Right. Cosette is. We see her Eponine as a sweet, innocent girl. is also always costumed in these sort of like this cool oh, sort awesome. of like steampunk Oliver esque looking right way, with a big know? jacket and a right. big hat and um and Cosette's always like got this like high collar buttoned up, you know. It, it's on my list of, of if you could like time travel and see a performance. Sutton Foster did Eponine yes. on Broadway, yes, I and know. I would really love to have seen no, that. I'm sure she I think great. that was that was quite a yeah. quite a thing to see. Um, yeah, because Cosette is not 
three, even Marius has moments of doubt, dimension. He has to make a choice at the end of Act One between his love and his friends. He chooses his friends. That's interesting. Um, sings empty chairs at empty tables, tortured by choices and things that have happened to him. Cosette, we get Castle on the Cloud. So she's perf- a perfect little girl. And then she's a perfect young woman. Right. And then she's a perfect young woman. Like she has no. Yeah. And it, it is a real, it's a huge flaw in the writing that she has nothing. She never makes any decisions at all. People do things to her constantly. Yeah, pretty much. She is taken. She is then told things by Jean Valjean. She is falls in love with Marius. And then Marius makes decisions and she's affected by those decisions. Jean Valjean makes decisions and she's affected by them. And she just kind of gets wafted along. And it's a real disservice in the movie to Emma Stone, who I think is doing really, trying really hard to put any kind of depth to this character. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it doesn't exist. She doesn't have any. Whereas Eponine, you're, I mean, you're right. Eponine, we see her in Castle in the Cloud, but she's a bratty little kid. And now she's a sweet, you know, artful Dodger type right. character. In Unrequited love is always more interesting than requited of love. Course. And then she dies. Well, I think we pretty much nailed it here. I don't, I don't know if there's, oh, I did. What, what is your favorite song? From the show? From the show. And uh, if it's different then and now, that that's fine. In fact, that's interesting to me. Favorite song to sing would probably be um, actually not Stars, but I used to love to sing Javert's Suicide. You can't really sing that because like nobody can accompany like that on oh the piano. Gosh, yeah. But I love this sort of tour de force quality of like the, you know, just the the extemporaneous you know thought that's exploding. From it is a really good lyrical. So I mean, yeah. I have to say the lyrics in that in the show do not get enough attention, in my opinion, because the lyrics to that song specifically. Not to mention the fact that they're translated. Yeah, but it, the stream of consciousness, the the way he's falling apart is a very specific, yeah, it, it's remarkable. Right. The, the the sort of stream of consciousness, random thoughts leading up to the suicide make, yeah, a very well-written lyrics. But my favorite song song is One Day More. Okay. I mean, and I, I don't, it took a, I wrote about this when I had a little interview for like Theater Washington, I don't know, a few maybe a year or so ago where they were talking about what was your first uh, Broadway show that had an impact on you. And I mentioned seeing Starlight Express, but then I said that the first one that was, uh, you know, uh, important to me was Les Mis for the reasons that we've, that we've been talking about. But I said that I said a few things. I said it was, took a long time before I thought anybody's voice was ever as good as Com Wilkinson, which is true. Right. I said it was a long time before I thought anything was as funny as Master of the House, which was also true. And then the third thing, which I didn't mention, but which is still true, is that it, I certainly took a long time for me to understand musically, but to before I could appreciate the the sort of layering that goes on in One Day More, the contrapuntal quality and the different you know the different verses uh, and, and different um, um, melodic lines over top of one another. Um, mm-hmm. You know that's something that 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 Sondheim mastered. And oh, he it's does hot up here. Well. I mean, hot up here um, that is is a is a very similar right. kind of structured song. But it's something that I very much appreciate it. And something that Sondheim said himself is that he always had issue when people would sing in in unison and chorus, not 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 necessarily um, vocally, but or rather not necessarily melodically, but the same specific lyric. Like if everyone sings nothing like a dame, how can you all think at the same time right. the same thought? <laughs> um, so that's why I have a great appreciation for songs like Weekend in the Country, Hot Up Here, whatever. But One Day More is one of those songs where, yes, certain groupings are singing the same thing. But nevertheless, you have different groups of people um, moving forward towards the same, moving forward towards the same uh, goal, the same moment, 
coming at it from different vantage points and therefore singing different lyrics about it. And then it all coalesces into one grand chorus. Well, and it's a simple thing. I mean, an example of like, it's hot up here. That's a very simple thought that everyone would have simultaneously. Weekend in the country. They're all talking about this invitation. So right. they're all talking about this weekend in the country. Um, one you didn't mention, uh, Tonight in West Side Story. Sure, yes. It, it, that the Act 1 finale it is, you know, they're all just talking about what's happening tonight. That's something everyone's going to say. And it, it's that was a moment I remember with One Day More that you say specifically. Again, much parodied. And this this idea of... Because I think they, it's parodied in very well in Book of Mormon. Right? End of Act One, Book of Mormon has the yeah. same sort of song where everybody comes yes, together yes, exactly. and sort of summarizes where they've been and where we're going. So you're that when in you, town too. Same thing at the end of the act. So exactly. So when you come back from intermission, you kind of remember where we're all at. But it was a moment that my father actually pointed out to me. I remember this when we saw tonight the movie for the first time. I saw it excuse me, when I saw West Side Story, the film, and they did the tonight section. And I think then there's a break in the film. There's like a little. Oh, like an intermission. Yeah. Um, he said to me, did that song remind you of anything? And I said, no. And he said, well, how about one day more where all the characters get together and sing about how they're feeling? Right. And it was a real moment of, oh, there's a trick to this. There's right. a, there's a, there's something that all these, like th- there's a connection here. Well, that's good to hear that that's your favorite uh, thing. When do you plan on introducing this show to your son? To Oscar? Um, you know, I, Right now, he's like he's a one musical guy, and that's Annie, and that is it. Like Annie is the is the one movie that he will sit through, like literally only. Wow. Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood with the foxes. He'll, okay. He'll kind of sit through, which is great because I right. love that one. But Annie, I mean, he'll almost sit through the entire thing. I don't know why we didn't like wow. encourage it to be Annie. We weren't like please watch Annie. That said, I mean Annie's actually. I mean, now that I've seen it 85 million times, <laughs> I mean, Carol Burnett is like a tortoise oh, yeah. of comedy. Oh, and yeah. Like, you know, it's Albert Finney's great. It's, yeah. it's not a bad Bernadette movie. Bernadette Peters. Bernadette There's Peters. a lot of, I feel about Annie the film, there's a lot of individual, all the individual elements are right. The whole, for some reason, they don't add up to anything right. to me. That's, that's a, fair. That's a very weird movie. So, you know, I'm sure, I am sure that I, I yeah, the, the Disney stuff. And movie musicals. Actually, we did play Seven Brides for Seven Brothers for like not long ago. He was pretty interested in, in that. But um, a lot of dancing. So yeah. yeah, I think it was the colored shirts. Yeah. But uh... <laughs> the original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who worked the front desk. You can follow the original cast on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at Unknown Penguin. If you live in the D.C. area, my 10-minute play The Ferberizing of Coral is part of the 2016 D.C. Source Festival for their Secrets and Sound block. For tickets and performance information, visit sourcefestival.org. You can email us at originalcastpod at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to The Original Cast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. Special thanks to Evan Casey for coming down here to talk to us. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. (laughs) ¶¶